Just a year ago, 12 months ago, we couldn't do what we're doing today because we're in the early days of the, the advent of COVID-19. At that stage, we felt it was the right thing as the religious community after the meeting we'd had with the president that we shouldn't have our Good Friday celebrations. It's a very big sacrifice for us as the religious community not to do and have these celebrations because what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years ago is a very strong tenant of our belief. It's the basis upon which we do what we do. But just a brief reflection on my side. It was a painful thing not to be able to have meetings, not only for me, but for many of us, but we understood. We believe, however, a year later, there's a lot more we know about the coronavirus and that if all the protocols are observed and safety measures are taken, then the infections will not happen. We continue to challenge people to do the same, observe the protocols. We challenge to our people to say, let's keep the numbers down so that we can all return back to normalcy. But I must tell you that the last year for me and for many of us who are religious leaders has been one of the most painful times and the same it has been for you. I noted in this 12 months the deep love that God has placed in some of our hearts for all of you. I'm not shy to tell you this morning, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. I've really missed you. Because for us, it's not necessarily about the fame. It's not about the prestige. It's not about the offering. It's about the understanding of what the gospel does in people's lives. This year, it will be 38 years just about that I have been a preacher in this church and a minister and a pastor in this church. Over these 38 years, I've come to understand the role of the gospel much more deeper than I have when I started. I truly agree with Paul when he says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And in the many places where one has preached, it's been a pleasure for me to see the lives changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As people sat in buildings, sat in school halls, as people sat in stadia under the preaching of the gospel, it's been a pleasure to see drug addicts get free. It's been a pleasure to see people bound by alcohol set free. It's been a pleasure to see those who came into the services with no hope go back home with hope in their hearts. It's been a great thing for me to see couples who had walked in the building having agreed to divorce, but when they left, they left hand in hand and they decided not to divorce anymore. It's been a great pleasure to see what God could do. But this last year, the inability to meet, even if we've met in smaller numbers, doing the best that we can. It's been a pain for us to see the challenging times that many of you have gone through. 
The times of depression that the lockdown period has left on people. The lockdown period has been a period marked by being alone. Many people have been alone. Our elderly people have been alone at home, not able to go to church, not able to go out to the mall. And we couldn't visit them as we wanted to because we didn't want to affect them. And so they are so alone. The aloneness of people who get infected with the coronavirus, that you have to isolate and be by yourself. All these measures are necessary and we understand. But my goodness, it's so alone. You get sick alone. You are in a room alone. If you get admitted, you go to the hospital. Your family can't visit you. You are alone. And should it happen that you pass on, you get put in a plastic, in a coffin, and your family can't see you. You are all alone. The pain of seeing people alone, the people fearful, it has led so many people to a lot of mental conditions, depression, anxiety disorders, people living in fear. I know how the gospel is able to take away the fear in people's hearts. That even if it might not resolve the matter at that time, but the gospel is an uplifter. It's able to inject a dose of hope. But so many have tried as best as they could. I know it's okay for us to preach the gospel and people log on and people watch on television. It's not the same. Because by definition, the word church, the Greek word ecclesia, by definition, that word means a meeting together. And so it becomes important for us to meet in this way, to be together, and for us to stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and not play around with the time. But not only has it been a period of loneliness, but it's been a period of the loss of livelihoods. Many businesses have closed down. Many people have been retrenched and have lost their job, leading to people losing their livelihoods and therefore making people feel invulnerable. People have felt vulnerable. And the sad part is the poverty has become even more elevated. We are not a very rich country. We live in a country of contradictions. And the painful thing for some of us is to see how the poor have been treated in our country. It's been a sad thing. And that's why we note that we should be on the side of the poor and talk on their behalf. I remember last year when we approached some of the, uh, uh, the networks, the cell phone networks, all the big ones that you know. We talked to them and said, we're aware because of COVID, many people are going to have to rely on social media. They're going to have to use a lot of data. Is it, is it possible for you to reduce your prices? Let me tell you the truth, they didn't. They refuse to do so. Because we've seen in this time of COVID-19 how the selfishness of people can be exposed. Isn't it sad that even when it comes to the, to the vaccine, we noted how the rich communities and the rich countries rallied around and ran to go and buy as many doses as possible. Because at the end of it all, humanity at the end of it all is very selfish. And people put themselves first. It's been painful for us to see poverty being more elevated, people suffering, many people who rely even on informal jobs and people who couldn't survive. We want to commend all our frontline workers for the courage they have shown. 
when they have gone out even at the height of the pandemic. I think we must give them a big hand. I think they deserve to have a big hand. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. Our frontline workers who braved it, leaving home never knowing if they will come back knowing, not having contracted anything. Going back home not sure if they are bringing a virus back home to their children and their loved ones. But many of you lost loved ones. This pandemic has left people shocked, losing loved ones. I've conducted several funerals. Several of them, I had two coffins there. It was painful to see that and to see people passing, shocked and wondering. And now we noted, I think for me, I realized why the role of the church is even more important. Why we need to rally around people and we need to preach the gospel, share the gospel and help them recover. I don't want to take it for granted that because you are here this morning and you are clapping and singing and dancing, that you were not affected yourself. I've looked into the eyes of our young people over this time. Young people have a certain look in their eye, a look of hope, a look of tenacity, a look that says, I can do it, a look of saying, I'm a risk taker. But I've looked into the eyes of our young people in the last 12 months, and oftentimes all I've seen is a look that says, I'm not so sure. It's a look of fear. It's a look of uncertainty. And so this time, in spite of what has happened, this is what I want to say. God has always been there for us. And that is why we have come today to celebrate the, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and to remember what he did for us on the cross. In spite of that, God has been good. And I felt before I can share my message this morning, I want to take time to pray for all of you. Because whatever your experience has been during this time, I want to remind you, God has not forgotten about you. God knows that you are there. And that's why you are still there. Will you stand on your feet? If you're at home, you can remain seated. You can stand on your feet, whatever your situation. Let me pray for you right now. Would you raise your hand, everybody, as I pray for you? Hallelujah. Father, we come to you because you are our only source of hope. We come to you because you love us. We come to you because you've always proved yourself faithful. We come to you because we don't have to hide our pain. We don't have to hide how we feel. We come to you because we know we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. God, I pray for the people of our land. I pray for the people of South Africa and other parts of the world. I pray that the grace of God will rest upon them. I pray that the strength of the Almighty God will rest upon them. I pray that the power of your spirit will bring hope and comfort to them. I pray for those who have lost their loved ones that you will continue to comfort them. I pray for those who are still feeling a sense of loss. Those who have lost not only loved ones, they've lost livelihood. I pray for people who feel anxious, who feel afraid. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them right now in the name of Jesus. Stretch out your hand, O oh God. 
Your hand of mercy. Your hand of love. Reach out into every family. Touch every person, young and old alike. And reach them with your power. Thank you that you're a God who cares. And we thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Be seated, please. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 to 34. Just two verses. Luke 23, verse 33 and 34. It reads, And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One on the right, one on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled. For he's closed by throwing the dice. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The scene around this story is a very painful one. It's a one that can show the callousness of a person's heart. Jesus is crucified by these soldiers. These soldiers, of course, what they had done that day is part of what they've done for a long time. They would execute people in detail. They were so used to it that they were even bored with the crucifixion. Perhaps it could be possible that this team had performed several crucifixions in the week already. But it could be that the first time they crucified somebody, they may have been moved in their hearts by the brutality of crucifixion. Because you see, when you were crucified to the cross, they knocked nails through your hands. No, it's not the kind of nail that you use when you hang up your picture. But it is nails that are big enough that as Jesus had been raised from the dead, when he met Thomas, he said, Thomas, if you don't believe it's me, come and prove, put your finger through the palm of my hand. That's how big the nails were, where the finger of a grown-up man can go through the hole. As they put you on the cross, they would drive these nails, bang them, hammer them through your flesh into the cross. And people would grimace in pain, in anguish, as blood splattered everywhere. Because they were being punished for being wrong, punished for being criminals. Probably these soldiers, when they saw it the first time, the brutality of it all, it shook them. But now they had done it so often that this time they were emotionless, they were totally colors. And so they are. The first thing they did was to cruelly drive these nails through the hands of the criminal, criminal on the cross. Then hoist up the criminal. And then as he's hoisted up, the criminal, the body of the criminal would pull the criminal down 
as the nails would tear into their flesh, into their arms. And the cross would sway back and forth, back and forth until it was secured with wedges at the bottom to hold it upright in a hole. And when that had been done, these soldiers would sit around at the base of the cross waiting for the criminal to die. Some criminals, it took few hours. Some, it took many days. But the soldiers would sit there callously and to pass time, They would gamble. And they would decide by casting lots, throwing the dice, and whoever won was awarded the victim's possessions. That's what they did with our Lord. They took his clothes and they parted his clothes among themselves. This is a scene of cruelty, a demonstration of people who don't care. But in the midst of this scene, In spite of what happened, come some of the most astounding words we've ever heard. Jesus praying, Father, forgive them. In spite of what was around him, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. This man who had fed the crowds, this man who had preached the gospel, this man who had loved those who were not loved, this man who had embraced people who were outcast of society, This man who was there for those that were not loved. This man who was there to show compassion and raise people from the dead. This man who stooped down to talk to children. This man who went where others wouldn't go. Now the same man is being crucified by the same people that he showed love to. Instead of being revengeful, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. They know not what they are doing. You would think at this last hour, with the pain he was experiencing, with the trauma he was going through, you would think his prayer would be a prayer where he puts himself first. You would think he would ask that God would relieve him of the pain, that God would send angels to take him off the cross. Instead of him praying that kind of prayer, he looks at others. This Jesus who is unselfish, this Jesus who loves anybody and everybody, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would be terrified and overwhelmed. And desperately try to keep my composure. And my prayer wouldn't be God help them. My prayer would be God help me. But Jesus demonstrates complete unselfishness. He's concerned for the people who are responsible for crucifying him. And he's asking God to forgive them. Instead of thinking of his own needs, he's thinking of those whose souls are in much more greater peril than his own soul. What do we learn from this? We learn a few things. Number one, we learn that Jesus loves. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. No matter what you have done, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. No matter who you are, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It's amazing how he prays. He doesn't say, God, forgive them. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them. A term of trust, a term of confidence, a term of endearment. 
His love is not merely for those who are crucifying him, but his love is even for God. He loves the ones who put him on the cross, but he reveals as well his gentle love for his father. At the moment he begins the long course of death through the excruciation pain, in spite of the pain, he speaks in love to the only one who can deliver him and the only one who can deliver you, God himself. He speaks not of himself, but of others. Think about that word, Father, Father. He could have said God, which is a generic term of deity. He could have said Lord, which is a term of respect and honor of one who is in an exalted rank. He could have said Almighty God, and in this instance, he would be a bit formal. It would show his formality. He could have said Creator God. Instead, he says Father, Father, Father. You see, the first and foremost relationship he shows is that of Father. It's a family term. It's a term spoken within the family circle and it's expressed in Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a word we learn in the Arimathean language. It's the word Abba. The equivalent of that word roughly translated is the word dead or daddy or papa. You know how re papa, how re dead, how re daddy. It's a term of endearment. Jesus uses this intimate Aramaic word to address his father from the cross. But he started doing this when he was in Gethsemane. He prayed to father. Not only that, the Bible tells us in Romans 8.15 that it is the spirit of God that testifies in our hearts as those who are believers. We cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, Abba. It is the same Abba that Jesus used when he taught us to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is how we pray, our Father. Our Abba. By beginning his prayer with the words, Father, Jesus expresses this timeless love and confidence and trust. He's addressing a father that he knows, loves. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. In other words, he says, Daddy, I know. If I call you Daddy, I know you can't say no. If I say, Papa, I know whatever you have at your disposal, you will do it. All I'm asking from you, Papa, forgive them. Who's the them he's talking about? Forgive the soldiers who've crucified me. Forgive Pilate, even if he tried his best, but forgive him. Forgive the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, the force behind the people who planned for my demise. Forgive them. He says, forgive them. Jesus says, forgive these two criminals on my left and on my right. Forgive them. He says, forgive the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have always been against me. And they've always been part and parcel of this. Forgive them. But most of all, he's saying, forgive them looking at you, looking at me. Those who would come Many years later, Father, forgive them. 
Forgive them for their sin. Forgive them for their wrong. This Jesus is a Jesus who loves and who forgives. He's a God who forgives even at the last moment. No matter how much your life has been wrong. No matter how long you've been going in the right direction. His forgiveness is never too late. His forgiveness never runs out. You've never committed enough sin for God's forgiveness not to be able to reach you. Between the two criminals who were crucified, on the left and on the right, the one looks at Jesus and says, if you are really the son of God, why don't you save us and save yourself? But the one guy who had been a criminal all his life gets that moment where he says to this one, why are you talking to him like that? You and I, we are on the cross because of what we've done. But this man has done no wrong. And then he turns to Jesus. He says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus turns to him and says, because the forgiveness of God is abundant. Because God is never too late. Because it's never too late for you. It's never too late for anyone. Because you've turned and you have made an appeal. Tonight you will be with me in paradise. I'm here to tell somebody, no matter what you have done, God's forgiveness is available for you. No matter what your community says about you, no matter what society says about you, no matter what the people around you say about you, there is a forgiveness that comes from God. There's a forgiveness that comes from God. The blood of Jesus that flowed on the cross, it is available to you. Father, forgive them. Just forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus, what do you mean? He says, well, they know what they're doing, but they don't know the significance of what they are doing. To them, they're just crucifying somebody who's supposed to be a criminal, but they don't understand that through this act, not only it's an act of crucifying somebody on the natural sense, but this act goes beyond the natural and it goes into the spiritual. If the princes of this world knew what they were doing when they were crucifying the Lord of glory, they would not have done it because it is through his crucifixion that he destroyed the power of the devil. He destroyed hell, death, and the grave and he destroyed the power of sin. Somebody shout hallelujah in the south. They didn't know that by killing him, they are starting something. They are starting something powerful that will go on the other side. Here we are today because of what happened 2,000 years ago. We stand thanking God for the blood of Jesus that will never lose his power. And we say that blood is still available to save somebody, to change somebody, to forgive somebody, to wash somebody. It is because of that blood that we can stand before God without a sense of guilt, without a sense of shame, without a sense of inferiority. We can stand before God. And today that forgiveness is offered to you no matter what wrong you've done, that forgiveness is offered to you. Come to Jesus today. Invite him as the Savior and the Lord of your life. Let him come into your heart. Let's all stand on our feet right now. If you want to receive Christ and you are in this auditorium, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. And those of you watching at home, 
You say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. Join us in this prayer. Will you join us, everybody? Let's pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you right now. I believe that Jesus died for me. I receive him now into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my heart and for making me a child of God. I am forgiven. I'm washed in the blood, changed by the blood in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big hand of praise for his forgiveness.